financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Good morning. Good morning, Jess. How are you? I am doing good, and we've got a juicy topic today. <laughs> juicy topic. So, ooh, insurance. Very juicy. <laughs> Don't everybody flock at once. We're going to talk about insurance. But what we're going to talk about is uh, different kinds of insurances and how you might be affected if you lose your job or if you're planning on retiring mm-hmm. uh, or just needing to know, you know, how these insurances work while you're employed and what you should pick up outside of employment and what you should not without being insurance poor, if possible. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely something that people need to know. And I've gone through it before too, obviously working in radio you know, losing jobs, like, do you get COBRA? Do you try to get an individual plan? It's just, it gets complicated. In fact, COBRA is on my list. Yes, it does get complicated. So we will talk about all this. Well, you know, let's start with that. Why not? Let's talk about health insurance first. Okay. So if you're employed, you know, through somebody else and they're picking up your health insurance or a large part of your health insurance, you might say, I'm still paying for my health insurance. But when you take a look at your paycheck, and you see how much you're paying in your health insurance premium, mm-hmm. uh, and you add that to what your employer is paying, you'll find that health insurance premiums are pretty pricey. Uh, well, for and, sure, and even with COBRA, too, usually when you lose your job, that's not when you can afford to pick up the extra cost. Well, that's exactly right. And interestingly enough, I think most people think they want COBRA. Mm-hmm. They say, oh, I can get COBRA. Now, for for people who are thinking, why are we talking about snakes? <laughs> you know, True. COBRA is the way that you can keep your work-related health insurance when you leave work. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can keep the same company. Everybody says, oh, I want the same company because all my doctors are in it and I'm covered and I don't want to change horses in midstream and I'll just keep the same coverage. And I can have, I love this, people always say this to me, I can keep COBRA. For 18 months, and in some cases up to 36 months. Mm. Yes, you can keep COBRA if you are feeling very well off. Yeah, you're paying out the nose for it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. COBRA premiums are really high. Now, mm-hmm. why is that? You know, because people always say, how come I can buy regular health insurance, private health insurance, for less than I would pay for COBRA? Right. And why the is that? Three, yeah, well, two reasons, really. One is, first of all, your employer has been paying part of your premiums. So now you're paying the full boat premium. You're feeling it. Also, let me just add, not that I'm anti-employer, but they figure that into what they offer you for a salary. They're not doing it out of the, out of the goodness of their hearts. They're not? Oh, Jeff. <laughs> just want to add that in. Santa Claus doesn't exist. Why? 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 <laughs> yes. Okay. So so it's true uh, that it's all wrapped into what an employer decides they can offer for pay mm-hmm. based on how much your benefits are, are going to be and what that's going to cost them. But, it, you know, to be fair to the employer, why not? I mean, they have to do that if they're going to keep the lights on and you're going to have a company to work for. Right, right. So, so that's how that works. Anyway, the second reason that COBRA is so expensive uh, is because they're covering everybody in what we call pooling, Right. So if you're working for an employer, whether your health is good, bad, or otherwise, mm-hmm. you can get your health insurance when you leave through COBRA. They have to cover you. So you might be a person who has just had a heart attack, for instance, or you might have terminal cancer, mm-hmm. right? But you're covered under that plan. If you keep COBRA, you just have to pay those monster premiums. 
So it seems worth it if you have like big medical issues, but maybe not so much if you don't. That's right. They're higher because they're they're pooling their risk. Mm -hmm. They're throwing everybody into one pot and they're coming up with a premium that serves the insurance company to be able to manage the risk level they're taking on. Mm -hmm. And that risk level is higher when you throw a bunch of people in there that might have health problems. Now, when many people are retiring, they are, in fact, older, and many of us, as we get older, have more health problems. Right, right. So you're already in a higher-risk pool, part of a higher-risk pool, when you take COBRA. Now, if you're 25 and you just lost your job and you're thinking, I have to take COBRA because that's what's available to me, think again. You can probably get much lower rate in private insurance if you're healthy. Mm Mm-hmm. And the same thing may be true for you if you're older and you're healthy, right? So that's why COBRA is so expensive. But many people take it because they think it's the only option they have. So it's not the only option you have. Just to give you some idea, even for a healthy individual, COBRA is usually about $400 a month. And for a family, it's about $1,000 a month. It's just crazy expensive. So let me give you some other places that you could look to for health insurance where it might work for you. Mm -hmm. So first of all, any kind of private health insurance carrier, right? Uh, You know, there's a million of them. You ask your local insurance agent or financial professional if they can get your health insurance quote. You could also check in in Massachusetts and in most states, there's some sort of government-run or state-run health insurance program. And in Massachusetts, we have MassHealth, which people will say, yeah, but you have to be on Medicaid, you have to be low income. Yes, you do. But there is also MassHealth Connector, the business connector where you can make a a higher income if you're running some sort of business and still qualify under there. Now, for for many people, and the premiums can be very low, even zero. Mm -hmm. For many people, when they retire, what are they doing these days? They're starting something else, a hobby business, or they're starting another business of some sort. You may well qualify under the business connector, under those terms, as a new business owner or as a business owner who doesn't make above a certain level. But it's a reasonable amount of money. So check those things out. And then, of course, there's for people that are, you know, in the Medicare range, 65 and over, there's Medicare Advantage and Medicare Supplement. Now, we don't have time to go into all the detail about this, but my one word of my one sentence of wisdom here is sometimes you get what you pay for. Yeah, and I people had the people don't. on from um, Mass Health Connect, and we talked all about the different insurances. There's an enrollment, like there's a period where you're allowed to enroll um, but they do have a lot of other options. For sure, yeah. And and when we're talking about Medicare and Medicare Advantage, that's not a Massachusetts-run plan. That's a government plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, or gov- And some of them are not government plans, right? There are private plans that feel like government plans. But many times people will go for the free plan. They'll take the free option because they think the premium's free. And then later when they get really ill, they realize, oh, my gosh, this isn't covered. That's not covered. It just cost me thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful and look at those closely. When you're looking at Medicare Advantage and Medicare supplement plans, you really want to pay attention to what they're going to pay down the road, not just what your premiums are. Those premiums are pretty affordable for most people. So think about that. Mm-hmm. Cool. We knocked the heck out of health insurance <laughs> in a few minutes, Jess. So <laughs> there are other insurances that people are concerned about. So, you know, two insurances that are covered under your paycheck, you might see some deductions coming out of your paycheck, mm-hmm. are disability income and life insurance. Okay. So let's talk about those a little bit. And, and we'll talk, you know, in more detail about this after the break. But 
Um, so disability income. Now, you may have, uh, you know, short-term disability income or long-term disability income. You probably see it on your paycheck stub as STDI or LTDI, that's short-term or long-term disability income. And those were usually things you elected when you first started working, correct? Or does every employer have to yeah. offer that? No, no, you can elect them. They're, okay. they're free. Um, and the premiums are very small, and many people elect to have them, mm-hmm. but don't necessarily know what they've got. So for one thing, what you've got is likely a policy that will pay only if you're hurt on the job. Right. And only while you're at work. So when you leave your work through voluntary or involuntary means, mm-hmm. uh, that disability income policy is probably gone, uh, and, and you're going to have to think again about whether you want to get it. Now, that gets more difficult if you're not employed because DI, disability income, is based on the income you're earning from your employment. Mm-hmm. So, so that gets a little more, a little trickier. And again, we can go into more details about what kinds of disability income policy you might be looking for, what's worthwhile to you, what's not. Um, and then let's just talk briefly about life insurance that you'll see the deduction for on your pay stub. So that's very often a small policy, usually whole life, but sometimes term. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it almost always exists while you're employed with very low premiums. Unlike disability, it will pay if you die on the job or off the job. I mean, it's life insurance that will cover you almost always. I mean, But only somebody, while you're still employed with that company, right? Like if you happen to yeah. leave the company and a month later die, you're out of luck. Well, well you're not out of luck. Your relatives are out of luck, I should say. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're, you're already out, out of luck. luck. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, it depends on the, on the policy. And this is why we're doing a show like this. People need to be aware of it mm-hmm. and ask their employer or ask their HR people, or ask their insurance person that's at the company, what does this coverage mean? Mm -hmm. So the life insurance, yes, it might be completely gone when you leave work, or you might have an option to keep part of it. Sometimes they'll they'll just force it. Like uh, some of the the, um, police force, fire department, those kinds of uh, emergency forces will sometimes say, look, you have, you know, three times your salary while you're working here. And when you leave, we'll give you a $5,000 policy or a $10,000 policy. And that's it. You just have it. It's permanent. You keep it. Mm-hmm. But you need to know what's going to happen when you leave work. And so the best time to look at this is before you leave work, right. if possible. So, you know, even if you're not planning to retire, even if you're just planning to, you know, work here as a lifer for the rest of your natural days, it's not always within your control. Mm-hmm. And something could happen to the company or something could happen to you or your family, and you may have to leave. And it's important to understand these coverages as early as you can because if you choose to replace them or augment them outside of your employer's role, you get cheaper rates when you're younger on everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that doesn't mean you can't do it when you're older. It just means you know, heads up, here's another thing you get to spend money on. Lucky, lucky you. <laughs> another thing you, you don't want to spend money on that maybe you should. Right. Uh, but you can be overinsured. You can be uh, insurance poor as well. So we can, we can go into that in more detail. But 
Do you have any specific questions for me, Jess, about what we've covered so far? I think I got it. I've gone through this, as I said before, where I've, I've done it a couple of ways and I'll, I'll admit it. You know, one job I did where I took on the Cobra and it was just so much money that the next time, let's just say I'm not a bad employee radio. You get fired a lot because they just eliminate positions and it just, it just yeah. happens. So I will admit it. The next time that that happened, I just went without insurance until I got a new job, which oh, is, uh, yeah. really rolling the dice. You're hoping that nothing happens. You don't, you know, yeah. break a bone or, or just anything might happen. And I, Went without until I started a new job. And then also you have to keep in mind that normally when you start a new job, it's like 90 days after you start before the insurance kicks in. So I don't recommend it. It's not the best thing to do. But, you know, when you're trying to figure out what to pay, usually that is one of the last things you're looking at. Yeah, there are constantly laws being passed and bills being presented to talk about things like that. You know, can I get coverage day one? Uh, is well. Here's a good example. There used to be is these pre-existing clauses, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You could get insurance, but it wouldn't cover you if you had a pre-existing condition, and that's no longer. Now they have to cover you, right? So things are always changing, and you, you need to keep abreast of that. And you know, for yourself and many people out there, it isn't just you you're thinking about. It's your family. You have children. You have a husband or wife, whatever. And they may be included on your insurance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's another thing you can think about. You might be able to juggle your coverage to your partners if they have coverage under where they work. So lots to think about. But we can can go into more detail about it. All right. In the meantime, let me get your phone number. Sure. It's 413-773-3333. And you can go to HugYourMoney.com. Coming up in part two of Financial Fitness, more on different insurances with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, right here on WHMP. about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. Well, I'm a single mom who put four children through college all by myself with very little income and not a lot of help. So the credit card companies were very generous with their money when I needed it. The reason I came, do you know this? I heard an ad on the radio. These people sounded so, it wasn't a commercial. They were just telling their story. And listening to this couple talk made me think there was a way out. I said, well, I'm going to try this. It was doable. I think, ooh, maybe what I say can help someone else. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Hello. Well, hello, Jess. And we were talking insurances, and I actually admitted that I went without it for a little while because Cobra was just too expensive. And I was like, all right, I can I can hold out until, you know, a new job starts and that insurance kicks in. And I will say that if I had a family plan at that time, 
I wouldn't have done it. But I figured if I was, yeah. you know, single, I could kind of risk it. But you, again, like I said, you're still rolling the dice. Well, the thing is with kids, I mean, there, there's a constant health care cost with kids, right? If it isn't vaccinations, it's great oh. needs. And going to school, they're sick every other week. You got to like bring them in for something. Yeah. I mean, you know, having kids without health insurance is really, really tough. Yeah. So I said that we would get into more detail as we came back from the break. And I think that we should get into a little bit more detail about disability income, about life insurance, and about long-term care, uh, especially. So let's start with the disability income. So this, this seems to be coverage that in my opinion, and, and I don't even sell disability income, so it's not like I'm telling you this so that everybody will come buy a policy from me, right? right. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm licensed for it. I could write it if I wanted to, but it's not in my top of my wheelhouse. But I will say that I t- totally believe in disability income insurance, and I will farm it out to people. I'll say, somebody needs a DI policy. Here's a person who writes that. Because it's totally underexposed, right? People don't talk about it enough, I think. It's one of those calculated risks. Yeah, who wants to think, first of all, it's a hard sell, right? Who wants to think about being disabled, right? Nobody. Right. Nobody wants to imagine that they're going to be in a nursing home. Nobody wants to imagine they're going to die. And of those three, the only one we're sure of is that we're going to die. So for so, disability insurance, are you talking long-term? You're not talking short-term, like if you break a leg and can't work. You're talking long-term. Actually, I'm talking about both. Okay. So they are, there are two different things that cover you differently. So short-term disability, a lot of times it's something, well, you hear commercials, you know, with a duck, right? You know, <laughs> you hear these all the time that talk about disability. And, and they have, you know, this company has a good reputation and, and they have a lot of different options. And one option is short-term disability. And that's exactly what happens. If I'm out of work because I broke a leg skiing, this will pay me for the next, you know, 12 weeks or whatever it happens to be, right? Mm-hmm. It's a shorter term thing. You're going to recover from it and go back to work. It's going to pay you. Long-term, and the premiums are reflective of these things, by the way. Mm-hmm. Long-term disability will pay you for more of a permanent kind of disability. And this is where I say to people, read the fine print. I have seen so many policies where the premiums would indicate that you must have great coverage. Mm-hmm. But when I read what you have to do to be disabled, under their guidelines, I discover that you have lousy coverage. Hmm. So you can't just go by, well, I pay enough for it. It must be good. And I wish there were, was better regulation about disability income. But uh, again, I think it's a little under the radar for people. So the premiums are usually fairly affordable. They are risk-related. So if you're a steeplejack, for instance, you're going to have a higher premium than somebody who is a literary person. Right? I mean, yeah. the risk of getting injured is higher than somebody cutting their finger on the typewriter or word processor or computer, depending on what generation you're from, Mm -hmm. uh, or pencil and paper. Uh, And so the premiums are reflective of that. But long-term disability, you choose how long you want to get paid for. Like, I want it to cover me for three years, five years, lifetime, whatever. And it will only pay you, it will only stay in force until you're 65, at which point you're going to spin off of that and on to Medicare or whatever, right? So what you want to pay attention to is how much of your income you're going to cover yourself for. Because, I mean, typically it'll pay about 60% of your income, Okay. but it's not taxable. You have sort of a net similar to your take-home pay, mm-hmm. uh, but not everybody needs that if they became disabled. So you get to choose how much of this coverage you want and how long you want to be covered for. But where I think you really need to pay attention is are you buying an own occupation policy or an any occupation policy? 
An own occupation policy will pay you if you cannot do the job you're doing when you get the policy. Mm-hmm. I'm on the radio. This is what I do. If I can't be on the radio, it will pay me. And any occupation policy will pay you if you can't do any job. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah. So if you lost your voice, you know, God forbid, just you lost your voice, <laughs> but you do some other job, your own occupation policy would not pay you, but your any occupation policy would. Yeah. Pay attention to that language more than anything else. I think that's the important part and what you have to do, be to be disabled. Some policies will say, uh, you know, you just have to have a doctor say you're disabled and you have to be out of work for this period of time. Other policies will say you must have lost one leg, one arm, or the sight in both eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to know what you're paying for. So when you're talking about disability insurance or long-term, is this separate from what you have with your employer? Like, are you talking about going to find a different policy to supplement what you have with your employer or if yeah. you don't have? Yeah, I would, I would do it separate from your employer. Okay. Um, what you have from your employer is going to pay you if you're hurt on the job. And even then, the guidelines are a little a little looser, a little more difficult to figure out is what I would say. Okay. But a private policy on the side is something you really should have. Self-employed people, I know it's a killer to do this, you know, when you're self-employed already. Mm-hmm. But if you lose your income, you know, you're SOL. You can't keep your business open. So right. think about things like this. Okay. Uh, life insurance, I can give you sort of the skinny on here. Um, again, through work, you might have either some sort of whole life policy, but more than likely term. And the term would probably be for a multiple of your income. So they will say you get one time your income, three times your income if you die. Mm-hmm. Term insurance is just that. It stops at the end of a term and disappears. Whole life comes in many forms like variable life and universal life and plain vanilla whole life, and that lasts, that's permanent insurance. But term insurance is called term because it runs for a certain term, and then it's done, right? Mm-hmm. Unlike unlike us, right? We, we don't know what our terms are, but we, we want to be insured while we can do it. And whole life so, is obviously way more expensive. It is, although some of the policies, depending on how they're designed, can be quite affordable. Like universal life, for instance, if it's designed properly and some companies, like I, I used to personally own a universal life policy that was what I would say built on a term chassis. Mm-hmm. In other words, I was paying the lowest possible insurance cost I could pay for that policy, but it was still permanent. Okay. You know? But at a certain point, it might change in the future. So it's kind of a blend. You do want to know what's going to happen to your life insurance when you leave work because, again, it's easier to get this when you're younger and healthier, mm-hmm. right? It's harder to get it when you're older and maybe have some health problems. So even if you pick up something outside of work that's affordable for you, but it's permanent or it's term that's long enough to cover what you need, fine. From from my perspective as a financial advisor and as a hug your money software writer, right, is that you need enough life insurance to cover your debt first. Then we're talking about death benefit. Then we're talking about income replacement. Then we're talking about charitable stuff. You want to leave money to people because you love them. You want to start a foundation, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's how you sort of calculate how much life insurance you need. The reason I brought up the hug your money thing is it's a little different here because if you're covering your debt, but you're covering it for a short period of time, you may be able to buy a very inexpensive term policy to cover that debt and worry about the other stuff in a different kind of policy. Okay. But, you know, you can get away with that here where you might not be able to in real life. Whew, okay. It does Let's sound like you, I mean, I'm just going to say, and we'll say this again at the end, but it does kind of sound like it'd be a little easier if you had somebody to help you go through all of this because it gets complicated. 
it's, you know, it's inherently complicated, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be awful. I mean, when I said you could be insurance poor, what I mean is, you know, some of these coverages might be important to you and some might not. You know, you may not be a person who needs disability income. If you lost your job tomorrow, you may be able to live on investments Mm -hmm. or you may have some other other solution, right? Life insurance is one of those things that people often think they maybe don't need or don't want to pay for, but you need to remember that your beneficiaries are going to get that money Mm tax-free. That frees up your assets to spend if you'd like. Like the people who say, I want to just spend all my money and roll over in the grave penniless, Mm -hmm. I win the game. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, go ahead and leave the life insurance to your heirs if you want to leave them money. Right. So, okay. you know, you can really leverage your money if you do this properly. Let's talk briefly about long-term care, very briefly, because we don't have that much time mm-hmm. left. But you could talk about long-term care for a long time. What I want to say about this is coverage, coverage, coverage. That's what you're interested in. The premiums are going to be expensive. Get ready for it. It's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Nursing home costs, home health care costs, they're high. And insurance companies are going to charge you high premiums to be able to pay for it. But that does not mean they're not affordable or you can't get good coverage, right? Again, you can design the right policy to fit your budget in mm-hmm. all of these things, right? Maybe you don't get the full coverage you wanted in Utopia, but maybe you get something that hedges your bet, and is affordable at a place where you can live with it. Now, for long-term care insurance, again, it's all about reading what the benefits are. How long will you be covered? What has to happen in order for you to be covered? And the biggest thing from my standpoint for people is how will you be covered? Are you only if you go into a nursing home or are you covered for home health care? I think most of us, if we can finally accept that, you know, the odds are high that us or somebody in our family will need long-term care, Mm -hmm. we would prefer to have it in our own home if we could do it. Right. Yeah, for sure. But most policies with lower premiums won't cover that. It's so expensive. Yeah, but some policies will cover it. And so you just need to pay attention and and say to the person that's writing this for you, but I want coverage at home. That's the only reason I'm buying this. Mm -hmm. If I go into a nursing home, you know, what do I care? They can, they can, you know, I'll go on... The first 90 days is paid by Medicare, and after that, it's paid by Medicaid if you cover. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a long story, but let me just tell people who might be panicking out there. If you are married, they're going to cut your assets down the middle and expect that half of those are to be kept by a spouse, and the other half can be spent for any benefit of either person. If you buy a new car with it, so be it as long as it's going to benefit one of the two of you, and you get to live in the house as long as you're alive. Key thing is, if you're on Medicaid and you're racking up these bills that the state is paying for, the government's paying for, at the end, you may have such a bill to pay that somebody has to sell your house when the second spouse dies in order to pay the state back. So you got to think about those things. But for the home health care, you know, if that's what you really want, then you need to buy a policy that's going to cover you for home health care and pay the premiums to get it. And just know, okay, I'm going to have coverage for this period of time. Somebody said to me the other day, they only wanted two years of coverage. And I said, well, okay, but you may be in a facility longer than that. And they said, but two years would give my family enough time to figure out what they were going to do. And I thought, you know, that was a reasonable thing to say. Mm -hmm. So anyway, just think about the insurance coverages that you have. Think about where the gaps might be. And how can you make it affordable for yourself so that you don't feel insurance poor, but you feel properly covered. 
And there's a lot to it, and it does get complicated. If people want a little bit of help on this, what is your phone number? Thanks, Jess. It's 413-773-3333. We'll have another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up next Saturday right here on WHMP. Thanks so much. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high-quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. But I feel guilty for it. Like, there's times when I'll say, how do I get out of this? Yeah. I have a friend who did the program, and I remember her telling me about it. Yeah, she told me about the program when she first started doing it, and she explained it to me. And then I would ask her every once in a while. And then when we, I heard your, her, your ad on the radio, actually, on my way to work, and I was like, I'm going to call. Talk is cheap. I'm just going to call. So I'm glad I did. It's great. Yeah, talk is cheap. Tim and I always say that. Talk is cheap. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I was feeling sad, and I'm actually starting to feel happy, relieved. No, it definitely was worth it. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. There's a term called tip creep. Okay, explain what the creep, what, what that means. Yeah, it's a newer term. And what it means is, you know, the, the amount of money that we are expected to tip mm-hmm. and the amount of opportunities we have to tip is getting higher and broader. I definitely notice that everywhere I go. So one of the things that people are the angriest about, and I will say this is a passionate topic, right, when you talk to people about tips. But one of the things that people resent the most seems to be the digital tip. You know, you go someplace and you pay your bill and they hand you a, a, a device and it says, how much do you want to tip? 15, 18, 20% or other. Completely right? agree with that. As soon as you see an iPad at the counter, you know that they're going to ask you for a tip. Yeah. And you know, the, the interesting part to me is, you know, I feel like a louse when I tip other, <laughs> when mm-hmm. I, I choose other, right? There's a lot of pressure in that. The person that you're tipping is probably standing right there handing you the iPad. Oh, of course. You know they're looking at it, too, as soon as they close it out. Yeah. Exactly. And yet prices have gone up everywhere. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, Americans are strapped for cash on in general, not everybody, obviously. But, you know, in general, things have gotten tighter for us, not looser. Mm -hmm. And within that, we are expected to tip more services. And so the root of this seems to be, although things always seem to creep up, But the root of this issue seems to have started in COVID, where inside COVID times, you know, people got used to tipping. They were very generous. You know, people were delivering their groceries. That had never happened to most people. Things like that were happening. And so, you know, people started to tip a variety of services that they might not have tipped before. Mm -hmm. And now it's sort of expected. Now, there are a lot of statistics, and I can throw some numbers at you in a bit if we want. But the one thing that people bring up when I mention tipping, if they're a traveler, is, well, it's not like Europe. In Europe, you go out to eat, you pay your bill. Done. You know, the people are paid a normal wage, a livable wage, and they don't rely on these tips. Right. And so... 
What I don't like about that here in America is that pressure, uh, that guilt if you don't tip or if you don't tip enough. And it seems to be shifting, believe it or not. Gen Zers and men actually tip the least of any demographic. Mm. And it's probably not because they're cheap. It's probably because, you know, they see things differently or they don't have the liquid cash that, that other generations might have. I mean, Gen Zers, maybe, maybe not men in general. But in any case, you know, we're, we're calling this tip fatigue. In other words, people are just tired of having a tip for everything. I agree. I will say there are certain things that I get annoyed that people don't tip enough for, and there are certain things that I have fatigue over. For example, if you go out to eat, I feel like you should plan on tipping 20% for the waiter or waitress. If you don't have that amount of money, don't go out to eat. I, I just find that really annoying. But for something where it's like a service, I don't know, like a Starbucks, you're going up to the window and then there's like a tip cup at the thing, or a Subway where you're just getting a sandwich wrap to go and there's a tip cup. Well, that's part of, I mean, they get paid a regular wage, like not two thirty five an hour or whatever waiters and waitresses get. So I guess for me, it depends on what it's for. If it's going out to eat, I'm all for it. You know, give them a good tip. But if it's for another service, then it yeah, really bothers me. Well, you know, you're absolutely right, I think. I told you I have some statistics here. And tipping 20% at sit-down restaurants is still the standard. It's mm-hmm. still the etiquette to do it. And some people will argue, if I didn't get good service, why should I tip 20%? I'm kind of with you there. You know, it should be a tip because you got good service. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be that you have to supplement these people's income because the businesses don't pay them minimum wage, right? But that is the case. But you brought up the carryout services as well and gratuities for those. You know, they didn't involve a tip in the past at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's standard to say, I just picked my food up at a restaurant and took it home. Why should I tip anybody? And nobody waited on me. Nobody did anything. And there's been some blends of this. I remember there was a a local restaurant before it closed was having uh, trouble getting help. Mm -hmm. And so a full-service restaurant still felt like full-service. You walked in, you sat down, and they had like one or two people who would just come over and tell you how to order. The menus were on the table, and they would just say, you know, here's how you place your order in this little app. And then you can either pick it up at the counter or, you know, one of us will bring it to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. was it. You were doing your own stuff and still you felt like you should tip. Now, you know, you mentioned the sense of having to tip people because of the amount of money that they make. And, and I am completely with you on this. You know, while full service restaurant tipping has stayed, you know, pretty steady, the thing about quick service, fast food restaurants, you know, that fell or, you know, it fell to a five year low where you were saying Starbucks, get a coffee, whatever. But fast service restaurants, the tipping fell to a five year low in 2023 to 16.7%, according to a survey by, by Toast. So, when we're talking about minimum wage and the pressure to tip, besides the fact that they're standing there looking at the iPad you're poking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, minimum wage in Massachusetts right now is $15 an hour. But the average wage for a fast food or a counter worker is fourteen thirty-four an hour for full-time and twelve fourteen for part-time, including tips. Mm-hmm. Including tips, they are making less than the minimum wage. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think we have to kind of trust that stat. You know, that's what they do. And that's really sad. That includes the tips that we're giving them. And, you know, these people work really hard. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it's so hard, though, because you do feel like the business should be 
paying them a fair wage. I mean, I remember growing up making five bucks an hour. And if I was an hourly worker, I didn't expect tips. If I was a waiter or a waitress where you were making way less, like, I don't know how much less it is, or if you have the statistic right there, but I think, what is it, like three or four bucks an hour for a waiter or a waitress, then the tip makes sense to me. But even if you're making 12 or 15 bucks an hour, like, that's what you're making. Right. I I sound, I don't want to sound bad. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Frances Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. I had to trust that that process actually worked. See, this is all new. I never heard of doing it like this. I don't even understand this. I'm Jill. And Bill. We were just talking about that earlier today. The the thing is, this whole process has allowed me to put um, you know, nearly $30,000 into my uh, 401k at work. And we got cash in the bank. We don't owe anybody anything. When we have to buy something, we pay cash. And our debt's all gone. I mean, it's like we've got as much money now as we had in debt before. It's like turned completely around. And we did this in three years. Three years we did it. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug your money. So unique, it's patented. Moved to a far more digital platform in terms of businesses cashing out. They all have POS systems and they have them because they can track their sales easily and they don't have to worry, quite honestly, about help ripping them off for cash, right? It's just not there. They have all this POS point of sale services where everything goes in digitally and there they go. They have their reports, all of that. But The waiters and waitresses and other staff working in organizations like this where there's only digital checkout do suffer from a lack of tip in some cases. Some people don't want to put a tip on their credit card or or whatever. And some people just, you know, they'll just tip only, they'll just pay only what they have and no tip. Mm -hmm. And then say, oh, gee, I didn't have any cash, you know, as an excuse. Or maybe it's the truth. But bring some cash if you can because they really rely on these tips as we've just talked about. It's part of their income and it's just not fair for people to earn that. Now, from the business standpoint, you know, the pressure here is businesses should pay them more. In fact, I think it's something like 66% of the people surveyed were angry about that and said, no, businesses should pay a fair wage to wage staff. They shouldn't rely on the tips and still be making less than minimum wage. And, you know, we can all agree with that on principle, except if you're the business. Because now, imagine you're the restaurant business, and this precedent has been set. And you have to compete with other restaurants. Mm -hmm. I know a couple of restaurants who pay their people normal wages. And the tips are above and beyond that, which really is how it should be, in my opinion. But, you know, you have to remember, they have to compete with the price of their dinners. They have to compete with all the overhead they have. And a lot of times, the only way they can do that is, in fact, to pay this lousy waitstaff wage and, you know, try to get decent tips for everybody. And some places even pool tips. 
You know, and so if you're a very good waiter or waitress and, you know, somebody else is just barely getting it done, you're getting equal tips. And and that seems terrible. Super frustrating. I was a waitress for a while and pooling tips. Yeah, always not good because you do feel like if you're kind of going above and beyond, someone's taking less tables and not doing as much, you know, you're kind of penalized. Well, the idea is teamwork, right? If everybody does their job, everybody's tips will be great and that'll be great and, you know, all of that. And, and some places share them with the bartenders and some places don't, you know, and they do a lot of work to get stuff to your tables and all of that. You know, it is also a place that breeds an environment where somebody can slack off and still get the tips they want. So you can see why this is a passionate topic. All you have to do is start this conversation at the water cooler. What do you think about tipping? Yeah. And the other thing was waiters and waitresses that I think people sometimes forget when they're tipping them a small amount is they have to tip out their total sales 10% to the bartender and 10% to the hostess most at most places. So, you know, when you don't tip them, it's costing them money. I, you know, I don't have a solution for it. I can't say, you know, businesses have to pay them a full wage because I'll tell you what, when you go out to eat, you're probably already complaining that it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely prices have gone up. Yeah, prices everywhere are going to go up. But, you know, they managed to have done this in other countries and survive. I mean, we're talking about tipping across the board, you know, who gets tipped and who doesn't and how many opportunities we have to tip. And we'll go into more of that. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the money doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. I actually work with someone that recommended that I check it out, and uh, I did do that. What I found was very encouraging. I have in the past had more debt than this, got it caught up, then I get back in debt, get it caught up. It's like that hamster on a wheel. It starts all over again and you know, just get nowhere. I can't, I couldn't see myself getting this caught up without getting a second job because it was just piling up. This, it's different. This gives me the option to uh, get it paid off and break the cycle. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented.